Football MX Network production. Josie's on a vacation far away. Come around and talk it over. So many things that I want to say. A new view from inside the truck. X racer to racer and eye to eye. A casual look into the personalities of the sport and an experienced perspective into the action from week to week. It's Jason Thomas's Industry Seating. Presented by Pirelli Tires, Fly Racing, Blends All Racing Motor Oil, Works Connection, Plum Creek Funding, 612 Suspension, Fast Foundry, and Pro Glow. Welcome, everybody, to episode 56 of the Industry Seating Podcast. It is Sunday, February 14th. Yep, Valentine's Day. I'm in Orlando. We just got done with round seven. First of the two Orlando rounds, and then we'll have Daytona. So three Florida rounds in a row. Man, did we get lucky with the weather last night. Uh, It's actually raining here today. Rained a big portion of Saturday as well. And then, man, the track got really, really good. So... I've been very concerned with these outdoor events that are on the schedule. The three Florida rounds, the three Atlanta rounds, two Salt Lake rounds are all outside and all subject to adverse conditions. We dodged a bullet yesterday. That's the first. Uh, But I I just have a feeling one of these is going to be serious mud. We could even get snow at the final Salt Lake rounds. Uh, I have raced in the snow in Salt Lake in April. You know, it's pretty, pretty odd situation we had there but it could happen it, stranger things have happened than uh snow in late april in salt lake so we'll see how it goes but for that first orlando round pretty lucky and saw great racing before we get into it i do want to thank uh the sponsors of this podcast pirelli tires plum creek funding guts racing fast foundry blends all works connection risk racing 612 Suspension, Premier Vapor Blasting of Georgia, Pro Glow Wash, Grant Stone Boots, Fly Racing, and, and I will have a bunch of promo code information. I appreciate some of you have been reaching out and using those. Please continue to do so if you're going to try any of these great products from these great sponsors. Why not save yourself some money along the way? So let's jump into the 250 class. Joe Lawrence got it done, right? And we talked about, uh, I talked about this on the Patreon podcast and and in the recent weeks, he's kind of undone any championship aspirations he's had. Obviously, skipping that main event, uh, what was that, Indy 2, uh, where he was not able to ride, was pretty much the end of his title chances, and especially in a short series. You know, these guys have the series cut in half. You can't miss a round. It's just impossible. And with the, the consistency that Colt Nichols has had, uh, yeah, it's pretty much over for him, but you can't win races. And remember, he's only 17 years old. Winning races is, is going to be the goal on the way out and just continue to improve his improvement curve and acceleration and growth curve has been nothing short of phenomenal. And it, you know, I could point to last year at Anaheim too, and say he almost won. Okay. You know, but he did break his collarbone and he showed some youth there, but even this past summer, he wasn't the best guy, right? He, he got some podiums and then going into the Salt Lake rounds, he finally got a podium in Supercross. But for him to be winning 
I think is a, a nice step forward and he lost some pretty heavy competition last year. So it's certainly a little bit easier for him this year, right? Uh, even guys like most men and these guys have gotten hurt, but I like what I'm seeing from Jet Lawrence and I think he's only going to continue to improve. I talked about it a little bit uh, in the last few days where I thought these conditions where track's a little tougher, it's outside, we're dealing with the elements. I think that favors Jet. Remember he grew up in Belgium. And when I say grow up, I mean really formative years. You know, he's uh, 11, 12, 13, 14 years old. He's living in Europe. He's, I, I think, maturing at a faster rate than most riders would just because you're getting so many different things thrown at you culturally. And those guys ride all sorts of different tracks. They ride, you know, hard pack. They can go to the south of France or Spain. They go to Italy. Of course, they usually live in Belgium where it's it's a lot of sand. So you get all these different things that I think improve your skill set as a rider. And he's still so young that for him to start riding Supercross at 15, I don't think he was past that curve where you, you start talking about a lot of the MXGP riders where they're just like, ah, I think I missed my window to come race Supercross. And, the, and those that do, unless you're French, because those guys ride Supercross growing up, they usually don't really ever get there. Kind of saw the same thing with Roxon. He came over when he was young. He's 15, I think, when he made the jump over. You're still so young. It's just like learning a language for a child. It's so much easier to learn something new when you're young than it is when you're old. And you've already developed your habits, good or bad. Uh, I think it was still in that range of time for, for Jet where he could learn it quickly. And it's funny because I think that's playing out when you watch the difference between Jet and Hunter. I think Hunter will be an absolute threat to win races outdoors. But for Supercross, it's just not seeming to come together as as easily as it is for Jet. And I think that's just that three or four year window of age where, you know, Hunter came over when he was, what, 18? And he'd already been in the MXGP or MX2 class for a couple of years. And I, I don't know. I, I think there's something to that where he just was a little bit late in developing the habits and uh, just missed that window a little bit where you could pick up Supercross more easily. I could be totally wrong on that. Maybe Hunter comes out swinging this next Saturday at Orlando 2 in the first 250 West round. But I, I just don't see it. You could also argue that maybe Jet just has more talent, right? Maybe that's just inherently uh, a talent issue where Jet's going to be a better rider long-term than Hunter is. I don't know, but I think Hunter will win races outdoors. I think he will be a title threat outdoors. I don't know if he'll have the consistency to stay there for the title, but that's where I kind of say, I don't know if it's a talent thing because they're both going to be race winning podium level caliber outdoor riders. And we've seen how great Hunter has been over his career, especially at motocross of nations, for whatever reason, it seems like he would always show up better than ever at motocross of nations. Kind of like Gautier Paul in, in that aspect, as far as Colt Nichols, he is your championship leader. And I think as long as he doesn't do anything stupid, this is his championship to lose. You know, last night was interesting because I think he had an opportunity to win. He just really couldn't do anything with, with jet. And you wonder if he was managing and thinking about the championship as the race was unfolding, because remember Christian Craig had a big crash and he was kind of falling off the back towards the end of that main event. So Colt didn't have to really press the issue. Of course, Colt wanted to win the race, 
But at, you know, the, with like five minutes to go, he was solidly second. Christian was not providing any pressure from behind him. And he has to weigh the risk versus reward of, okay, can I go up and, and try to win the race? Can I go after Jet? But if I do that, how much risk am I going to have to take of a big crash and throwing this championship away? And only Colt could answer that. Only Colt could, could say how he was feeling. My guess would be is that he was already on the limit. Uh, the whoops are really sketchy. The track was deteriorating quickly. And I would bet you that Colt would say, if I was going to ramp it up and go make a run at Jet, I would have had to put myself in serious risk. Like my risk factor would have skyrocketed. And I've got to think big picture because he's got a, he's, you know, a single digits. The, the lead's not massive, but with the, the little amount of racing left and the way this class and the weakness in this class, there just aren't many riders that can really battle those guys for podium. So all he really has to do is kind of watch the clock and make sure that he's going to keep Christian Craig behind him. He doesn't even have to keep him behind him, really, as long as he's just right in front of him down the stretch. So I like the way this is uh, unfolding for Colt. You know, he's been there each and every time. And then when he did run into some difficulty at uh, Indy 3, he was able to overcome it, right? He overcame the adversity that Indy 3 threw at him, was still able to fight back and get on the podium. Uh, and that's really what it, it takes, you know, in this series. If, if things don't go your way, which often at times we see that in the 250 class, there's a lot of ups and downs and you're dealing with younger riders that aren't able to, or they just haven't learned yet or haven't uh, developed uh, the maturity that comes with a guy like Roxon or Webb or Tomac or these guys that can come back from dead last and get into the top five or top 10. Uh, but to see Colt Nichols do that, even in a depleted class, uh, I thought spoke volumes about where he's at mentally and the way j- just his uh, his placing in this championship. I really like him to uh, to wrap this thing up. Now, Christian Craig, obviously riding really well all day, and then he has that huge crash in his heat race. And, man, he's lucky he didn't get seriously injured there. Will be interesting to see when he gets, you know, x-rays and MRIs done on his hand and wrist to see if he's got any serious injury from that. Obviously, for him to get on the podium in that main event, that speaks well for him moving forward. Typically, if you can ride at the level he was, even if he couldn't sustain it, right, he couldn't go with Jet and Colt the whole time, to be able to ride that that hard uh, that quickly after the crash, I think he's going to be okay. You know, he still gets on the podium. He still keeps himself in this championship fight. But you can just kind of feel it start to slip away a little bit. You know, in Houston, it was like, man, Christian might be the guy here. And with a round or two to go, it just starts to feel like it's it's becoming Colt Nichols' series to lose here. So we'll see. Anything can happen. That's why they dropped the gate. But I really like the way uh, – Colts kind of rebounded from some adversity and Christians just making too many mistake, too many mistakes. To be honest, you can't have a big one when it, you're all by yourself in the heat race. There's really no pressure on you, and you have just this huge crash, which almost ends your series. Just can't do things like that. So, again, in this 250 class, don't ever assume anything until it's over. But Christians made a few mistakes that they may end up costing him. And if you want to just take the mistakes out of it, Colts proven he's just he's just been a little bit better. Like that's really what it comes down to. He'd just been a little bit better than Christian Craig. Not a lot, not leaps and bounds, but 
you have you know a single digit point lead. That's about what the dif- the difference has been. Before we get into the power rankings, we're going to give away a set of Pirelli tires next show. So if you have questions, please email them to me. I'm going to pick one random question from the email submissions you give me, and you can email me at jason36 at aol.com, or you can direct message me at jason66thomas, and I'm just going to pick one. It doesn't have to be a specific topic, just something that makes me think or approach a subject a little bit different, you know, because live this stuff every day and uh, in my downtime thinking about this stuff. But if you have something creative, by all means, reach out and we will uh, we'll pick one winner for a brand new set of Pirelli tires next week. Some promo codes that I have for you guys. If you want to go to Works Connection, you can use the code JT21 at checkout to save yourself some money. Obviously, tons of great items over there. They have the Pro Launch Start Device, which is getting all those guys off to great starts. Star Racing Yamaha team uses them. Factory Honda uses them. It kind of speaks for itself right there, doesn't it? All those guys are, uh, I think they had 24 out of the possible uh, 44 main event riders using the Pro Launch Start Device. That's pretty incredible. Over half the field using Pro Launch Start Device. If you are racing, you should be using Pro Launch Start Device as well. Go to Risk Racing. All kinds of great items over there. Lock and load. I love the starting gate they have. I, I know that's a uh, more of a high-ticket item, but I think if you're a racer, there is no better way to prepare yourself than to use the whole shot starting gate. You can also use the lock and load pro. You can use the ripper roll-off system. When you purchase any of those, use the promo code JT and use the dollar sign at the end at checkout and save yourself some money. Go to 612 Suspension, any sort of power sports item, get your suspension dialed in. They're a race tech affiliate, so you're quality assured. And I've known those guys forever and ever. Mention the podcast, get yourself a 20% discount on parts and labor. Premier Vapor Blasting, mention the podcast and get yourself a 25% discount on all the great things they do over there. Go to at Premier Vapor Blasting for all of your restoration needs. They are the best in the business at that. Progo Wash. Why don't you get a wash that's specifically designed for power sports? Get that grime and crap, all the chain lube and all those things off your bike. Simple Green's not, it's not built for that stuff, right? This is uh, this is power sports specific. Get yourself Progo Wash. Use the promo code MOTO15 at checkout to save yourself some money as well. Now into the 450 Power Rankings. At number 10, Aaron Plessinger. And again, remember, with these power rankings, they're not necessarily based off points. They're not necessarily based off of last night's results. It's it's a bit of a, an accumulation. It's momentum. It's what I've seen throughout the season. It's where I think these guys are headed. Of course, all those other factors apply, right? It's what I saw at the race and what they've done over the season. But it's, I believe, where they sit in the series at the moment. So Aaron Plessinger, he had actually a really good ride on Saturday night. Sneaky good. He got some help, Anderson going down there, but man, he was up there pressuring Anderson for a while and they kind of fell off the back, but he was able to get around Marvin, which is pretty impressive. And I really liked what I saw from Plessinger. I've been a little down on him over the last couple of years. He just really hasn't performed to the level that I believe many expected. Hasn't been horrible, but I think coming off of championships, there were serious expectations that I don't know that he's reached all those. Very difficult class. Everybody around him are former champions. So it's not fair to say that he's just underperforming. 
but I know, you know, in my real job at fly racing, he was a rider that, you know, was available and we considered, you know, making offers to, et cetera. So I've kind of watched that closely to see, had we gone down that route, had he become a fly racing rider, how would that have played out? And I think he would even tell you that he expects more out of himself than really what he's gotten. So I like what I'm seeing. I liked her trajectory. I like the improvement. I don't know if that's because he's gone, you know, the monster star Yamaha thing, different personnel, different engineers, different approach, who knows, but it seems to be working. So keep an eye on that and keep just, let's just see if he can continue to get better. Jason Anderson at nine, unfortunate crash with he and McElrath. McElrath was getting lapped and they both go down, which is like the worst scenario, right? Crashes happen, incidents happen, but crashing with a lapper is that's a that's a bummer so i'm sure anderson wasn't thrilled about that he's still dealing with a lot of pain from that dislocated finger Uh, i did listen to an interview with him on saturday at the race and he was just saying it's very difficult for him to use his front brake at all i would guess he's getting some sort of pain medication during the main event which is helping and then you get that adrenaline pumping too and you just don't think about it the way he's riding and the speed he had, I mean, listen, he was reeling in Tomac. And if you want to go look at the lap times in the main event, it was really impressive. So he's getting better too, because I don't think anybody was very happy with the first few rounds that he was putting in. He's getting better and better and better. I don't know if he's just racing himself back into form. We see that happen a lot. If a guy didn't put in a ton of work during the off season, or maybe just took it a little bit easier than some other guys, right? And you would be hard-pressed to convince me that he's doing the amount of work he used to do. You know, that 2018 championship run, the off-season work he had done that year versus what he did this year, I would bet any amount of money that it's less. And that's okay. He's earned that right, in my opinion. He's earned the right to maybe not dedicate 100% of himself. Maybe 98% is where he feels happy and, and it's sustainable. But he seems to be getting better, and I would bet a lot of that is just from racing and riding so much right now. His form and his talent is rising to the top, and the racing is bringing that preparation out of him. Number eight, I have Mookie. And, you know, it's interesting with Mookie because when you watch him ride, it's not the same risk-taking, wildly out-of-control-at-times Mookie that used to make him so exciting. And I think that's also lowered his ceiling a little bit because I really felt like Mookie was a threat to win races a couple years ago. Now, keep in mind that threat to win races always put him at risk for injury. We saw that huge crash at Glendale that took him out of the series, broken femur. And I think Mookie's just learned that if you want sustainability and you want to stick around in this class for any length of time, you want to make money for the long term, you want to continue to get factory rides, you got to find a way to back that down a couple percent and stay in the top 10 year after year. And he's done that. He's done a great job of that. But I also feel the negative side of that. He's also lowered his upside a tiny bit. I don't think that Mookie is a threat to win anything. Uh, Dan Hubbard on race day live was saying that he thought Mookie was going to get on the podium soon. I personally don't see it. That's my opinion. I don't think Mookie's speed is there. And I think he's lowered his risk factor. And that's fine. I don't blame Mookie for that at all. But I think there, you know, there's that pendulum goes both ways. If you take less chances, you're also your speed usually comes down a little bit. So for Mookie to take the next step forward, 
he's going to have to find a way to be able to go faster, safer. Because when you watch guys like Webb, Roxon, Tomac, they're going faster than Mookie, but they also don't look out of control. You know, when you watch Webb ride, you feel like he could put in 100 laps at the pace he's going. Same for Roxon without crashing. And that's where Mookie has to aspire to. That's where he's got to get to if he really wants to take the next step. He's got to find a way to go their pace, but not be out of control. Because I think he can go their pace. He can go as fast as them. But the odds of him crashing at that pace are really, really high. And that's the problem. So long term for Mookie, I think it's the right idea. That's what I would do. But if you ever want to win races or be on the, you know, on the podium consistently or be a championship contender, that's where he really needs to take the next step. I just don't know if it's possible, right? Not, not everybody can go up there and win races. Listen, I'm speaking from experience. It's really difficult to take that next step. I could have gone faster in my own career than I was going, but there was a very, very good chance of me hurting myself or crashing, having big crashes if I tried to take the next step. So that's... That's up to him. We'll see what he chooses over the next few years, but I think you're going to see more of the same. He makes really good money. He's on a factory bike. Life's pretty good finishing inside the top 10 in in the 450 class, so that's kind of where I see that going. Number seven, Marvin Muscan. Third place at Indy 3. Kind of lucked into it, right? Barsha Tomac going down, but you'll take it, right? Bonus checks still cash. No problem there. Not as as impressive of a ride for Marvin at Indy. Orlando won. He was charging pretty hard there, and he kind of got dropped by Anderson. I, I didn't expect that. I thought he would maybe get up and pass Anderson, which he was trying. He made several attempts to pass Anderson, and he just couldn't stay with him. And, okay, on paper, yeah, Anderson beat him, but that was only because of the McElrath crash. Anderson had already dropped Marvin, and speed-wise and fitness and everything, like it was over. Marvin had kind of already seceded the position. So... I don't know what to make of Marvin's day. I, I expected more. I thought that third place at Indy 3 would kind of springboard him back into uh, being a perennial top five guy. Maybe it, you know, maybe it's still coming. One eh, so-so night is not uh, the end of the world. But when you look at where Webb was, where Tomac was, th- those guys all were way in front of Marvin. They they kind of checked out on Marvin a little bit. So. Even even Osborne, right? Who they they all practice together. Webb, Osborne, and Marvin all practice together. They really kind of left Marvin thinking about how to go faster. And this isn't something that is lost on these riders in the race. You know where guys are. Like you can see. I'm sure he could see up there Osborne and Barsha and those guys leaving him, and then the leaders way out front. And that takes a toll on your psyche. You're like, why am I so slow? Where am I losing time at? Uh, and I wasn't paying enough attention to Marvin going around the racetrack to see where he was losing time. But with their analysis, they'll go back and they'll watch video. They'll have all the segment times. They'll watch their own film. They'll watch the race film. They'll they'll figure out where he was slow. And I'm sure he'll be working on some of those aspects and try to improve technique and, and try to really just fill in the gaps. Like, where was I losing time? Was it the whoops? Was it the corners? Was it the bike setup? Was it me? Did I, you know, did he get winded and, and wasn't able to hold the pace? Because again, as I mentioned, he was trying to get Anderson. So something happened. He lost the pace for some reason, whether his line stopped working and he just didn't switch or whatever went on. There was a reason why he lost the pace of those guys. And he needs to figure that out. Moving on to number six, Zach Osborne. He was your podium finisher after a great battle with Justin Barsha right down to the wire. I was actually really surprised he was able to hold on there. Barsha was 
going for it at the end of that race. And I thought Barsha was just going to get really aggressive and, and make a heavy contact pass there late. And, and good for Zacco. He was able to hold on. Now, I wanted to move Zach up further than six, but his struggles as of late, I can't. And if he continues to bounce back and put himself in the top five and, and on the podium, of course he will move up. But he had all those, you know, back of the top 10 finishes and crashes and has had a really rough start to the series. So we'll see where this takes him. I wondered if this swing back to Florida and dirt that he practices on all the, to- all the time would have a positive effect. It seems to have already. Look at Cooper Webb, who practices with Zacho, as we talk about quite a bit. They went 1-3, so I like their uh, their chances and their aspirations over the next couple of rounds as we go into Orlando 2 and into Daytona. They both look great, and for Zacho, he just needs to get back mentally to where he's thinking he can win because I know when he came into the series, that's where he was. He expected to be in this championship fight. He expected to be winning races because that's where he left Salt Lake in 2020, and that's where he went to for Lucas Oil Pro Motocross. It just hasn't really panned out. A lot of it's been his own fault, crashes and bad starts and mistakes, uh, both mentally and physically. But that was a nice bounce back ride, and maybe it can get him on the right track. Now, in speaking with him, I know he's been testing a lot. Just whatever weaknesses he's felt the bike has had, he's been working to improve those and, and get himself into the fray. I mean, Ken Roxon set the bar really high for all these guys. So they could have come in feeling really prepared and Roxon's just kind of blown them away as far as like, oh, you thought you were ready. Well, how about some of this? So we'll see how all these guys respond. You know, we're not even halfway into the series yet. So a lot can be done and a lot of progress can be made as we move forward. Number five, Adam Cincerillo. And AC's been a little bit off. Uh, I think he's dealing with uh, some sort of leg muscle injury, which is making it very difficult for him to grip the bike. And you can kind of see that playing out in his main event. He's just not as sharp and doesn't have the sprint speed that we're used to seeing from AC. Now, we did have it in time qualifying. He's super fast. So I think it's something where it's wearing down or maybe becoming more painful or weaker throughout the main event because I've never really seen Adam as a guy that gets tired, but he's also able not able to hold that high level of pace that we're used to seeing from AC. It's never been something where it's like, oh, Adam's super fast, but he'll fade, just wait for it. But that's kind of what's happening now. And it's not just some monumental fade. He's just not able to hold that super high level pace that, uh, that we know he's capable of. Maybe he gets better, maybe he doesn't. I, I don't know the severity of the injury. I don't even know the nature of it. I just know something with leg muscle that's uh, hampering his ability to go that elite level speed. Um, but it's a bummer because I think this series is better when AC's at his best. He just adds such a high level of excitement. And the things he can do on a motorcycle, most people can't. And I, I wish we had more of that from AC right now. want to mention a couple more of the sponsors here. Pump Creek Funding. Mortgage rates are an all-time low. Was uh, watching more with the Federal Reserve. And if you don't know a lot about it, the Federal Reserve controls a lot of this stuff, right? They control what the interest rate is. They're not going to raise it for a while. So I would encourage you to reach out to Zach Morris, 720-212-4685, and ask, just ask about your situation. Explain where you're at. Explain if you have a mortgage now, what the rates are, and what your time horizon is, if you're looking to buy something, 
maybe he can get you a deal. You know, he just did refinances on both of Steve Mathis's properties. Uh, I've worked with him on a refi in the past for myself in 2017, and he saved me and Steve a ton of money. So I would encourage you to reach out to Zach, whatever your situation is, and just ask questions. Guts Racing. I want to thank Andy Gregg for coming on with Guts Racing. And like I mentioned last week, the coolest thing that I, I didn't know this about Guts Racing, you can fully customize your own seat. If you want to put your company's name on your seat, if you want to put your girlfriend or wife's name on your seat for Valentine's Day, you can get really creative with this stuff. You can fully customize colors, whatever, from Guts Racing. So reach out to Andy and the crew over at Guts Racing and get yourself and your bike dialed in. Thanks to those guys for coming on board. Also want to mention Fast Foundry. If any, if we learned anything with business in 2020, it's that you need to be as, as efficient as possible. Everything got more difficult. Everything from working from home to automation, it all kind of changed. And a lot of ways, not for the better. But the best thing you can do for your, whether it's a startup, whether you've been in business for 100 years, it doesn't matter. Your business can be better. And that's what Fast Foundry does. They work with Fortune 500 companies. There's so many different ways they can improve your company and, and set you up better for, I don't, I think the hardships that are coming in 21 and 22, I don't think it, things are just going to bounce back automatically, you know, just because the stock market's doing very well, because we're pumping stimulus money into it, that doesn't necessarily correlate with what we're seeing on main street. So we all need to be at our best. I know for Western power sports and fly racing, that's what we're working on every day is to make sure that we are as fundamentally strong and have every process as streamlined as pro- as possible. That way, if things do get difficult, we're prepared for it. So I would encourage you to reach out to Robert Carrico at Fast Foundry. You can go to fastfoundry.com. You can call him up and simply ask, like, how can you make my business better? Maybe you have a small business. I have this podcast. I have my journalism stuff I do. That's all small business. Maybe there's a way that Fast Foundry can help you. So I'd encourage you to reach out to those guys. Now at number four, I have Justin Barsha. And this may be pretty obvious. He finished fourth last night, but Barsha's been great this year. You know, he's really only had one bad round, and that was what, for the first indie? And I don't know what the hell he was doing. I don't know if it was a bike issue or a, a physical issue or a mental issue, but something was off for Barsha at that race. He just did not look good at all. Every lap of practice, every lap of the race, he looked just like a completely different guy than what I saw at Houston. Now, since then, he's been great. He did lose a ton of points because of the Vince Freezy incident at the last Indy round, but the riding was fine. And then he bounces back with a, another near podium at Orlando 1. So I am pretty high on Barsha's chances of you know staying in that top five podium battle the rest of the way. He just seems like he's firing on all cylinders. Now, will he win more races? I don't know. I think he can, but he's going to need some help. Uh, I think he's going to need the right situation and, and to get the whole shot and and just to be kind of clicking that day. But I really like what I'm seeing from Justin Barsha in 2021. Uh, he just seems like he kind of has it all together. So good for Barsha. I think he adds a lot to the series. Uh, he just had, you know, his aggressiveness, while I wouldn't want to necessarily race against him with the way he rides, you know, that Bam Bam moniker that he has, he does certainly add a lot to the casual fan for this series. Number three, Eli Tomac. Kind of weird to for the defending champ to be number three and to be 29 points down. That's not a, a great place to be for Tomac. 
Not something we haven't seen before, though. Seven rounds in, for Tomac to be you know a race worth of championship points down, man, it just seems like that's what he does to himself year in and year out. The question is, is he going to be able to claw his way out of this hole? Because he's got two serious contenders at the front with Cooper Webb and Ken Roxon. Now, he's only 16 down of Webb. It's not not a big deal. 16 points over, you know, what, nine rounds left, whatever it is. That's not that's not a crazy amount. No, nothing to be stressed about. But with the way Ken Roxon's riding, to be 29 points down, that is a problem. Make no mistake about it, that is a problem. So he's going to need some help. He's going to need Roxon's health issues to flare up. He's going to need a big crash. He's going to need a mechanical failure. He's going to need something because with what I'm seeing from Roxon, I don't think Tomac can just systematically take 29 points out of him without something happening. If something happens, if there's crashes, if there's incidents, no problem. But just straight up racing and, you know, they they go to the wire and he's got to beat him 29 points worth the rest of the way. I haven't seen it so far. So it's certainly not panic button time. I don't think there's any reason for that because you can only control what's right in front of you. You can only race one main event at a time, but it certainly can't be comforting to be looking up and seeing 29 points uh, out of the series. So he needs to win. He's got to get better starts. You know, he rode really well at Orlando one. It wasn't a speed thing. It wasn't anything other than track position. But you cannot let Roxon and Webb get to the front, which they were, and you be in 10th and trying to sort a way to get to them. You're just, he's just not fast enough to do that right now. And those guys are riding really well. So if you're not going to put yourself up there with them, you can't expect to beat them. Number two, Cooper Webb. Great ride from Webb. Uh, he kind of bulldogged his way around Roxon and those guys and got into the lead. And then he just did what Webb does. He manages the race really well. He can up his pace when needed to kind of, you know, sustain that lead. And he just outthinks these guys a little bit. I think his mental approach to a race is maybe the best that I've seen since Carmichael. Uh, when Reed was on, Reed was there too. Like Reed was a great race manager. But I think that's maybe Webb's strongest aspect is just the mental game. You know, he's so crafty and he almost knows what you're going to do before you even do it. You know, I can watch him approach a race and as a, the rider behind him, behind him is formulating a, an approach for a pass. It seems like Webb's already thought that through and it's like, oh yeah, I'll just counteract it with this. And that's such a great, just (laughs) characteristic for Webb to have. And it's very rare. Most people don't have that. You know, guys are super talented and super fast and all those things. But just the heads-up battle, it just seems like Webb's going to win that every single time. And we've seen it so many times with Roxon that Webb just has an edge there. So when Roxon was trying to catch Webb, it wasn't that I thought it was impossible. But I was like, I don't like Kenny's chances here. Webb's already made the pass. We're on a track that's difficult to pass on, and then you give Webb the edge that he's displayed so many times in over the last couple of years over Kenny, I, and I just kind of felt like it was a foregone conclusion that Webb was going to wrap up that main event. Number one, Ken Roxon, and this is no surprise. He's got a 13-point lead over Cooper Webb. He's doing everything right, and yeah, okay, gave back some points at Orlando 1, but... 
he's still got second place and he's still putting himself at the front in the beginning of the races and he's still doing everything right. I don't know when there's going to be some sort of mistake by Roxon if it ever comes. You know, Steve Mathis is on record as saying he doesn't believe that this is sustainable from Roxon just because of what history has told him. But he's certainly proving that wrong so far. Now, the great thing for Steve is that he gets to he gets to play that out all the way to round 17. And at any point, Roxon falters, then Steve's going to be proven right. That's the upside of that take. The downside is that Roxon looks phenomenal right now. And every single Saturday or Tuesday that goes by and Roxon puts another podium on the board, it makes the take look a little bit less likely. And, it, and the championship for Roxon look a little bit more likely. I still disagree with Steve on the fact that he said that there are a few guys that can win the championship and Roxon's not one of them. We're coming up on halfway of the series and Roxon has a double-digit point lead. It's starting to take some of the air out of that take. I don't know when, if ever. Steve's really stubborn, as am I. I don't know if Steve will ever give in on that. But Roxon looks great. Point being, Roxon looks just amazing. You know, the combination of whatever different mental approach Roxon's undergone, that 2021 Honda looks great. Whatever, you know, however Roxon's skill set matches with that 2021 Honda, they seem like a match made in heaven. Uh, he's just kind of clicking on all cylinders. Everything's working. The starts are working. The pace is working. The mental side's working. Uh, so good for Roxon. A second place is not the end of the world. Of course he wants to beat Webb because Webb is second points, and that's a six-point swing there, right, going both directions. But I think Roxon's okay with just hanging around this podium and taking the wins when they come, taking the podiums when they're not there. He just needs to try to stay in front of Webb as much as possible. But what a bounce-back season for Roxon. You know, leaving Salt Lake last year, he skips Lucas Oil Pro Motocross, and everybody's kind of scratching their head wondering what the future holds for Kenny. You know, there were people even predicting that he was going to step away soon, that it was just going to be the end of Ken Roxon's career soon. I wasn't in that camp. I thought he was too young. There's just too much time left on his uh, career calendar. But what a resurgence. I- I'm very excited. You know, Kenny's always been really outspoken, but always pretty nice too. I thought he was always been really level-headed. Uh, as a rider, you know, he moved to America really young and, um, yeah, I've just always kind of liked Kenny. I have known him not well, but I remember when I was racing in Germany and, and he was just a little punk kid that was pestering all of us. But, uh, yeah, great to see great success. The series is better. And, and I've said for a long time that Kenny's the most marketable rider in the world, you know, his technique, his speed, uh, you know, he looks great on the bike. He's a great looking kid. Like all those things mold him into what I consider the most marketable out there. And I, I would have loved to have him fly racing. I don't think he's ever leaving the brand he's with. And that, I get it. Like I I'm all for brand loyalty and he has certainly exuded that. Uh, Kenny's turned down deals for a lot more money in the past. And I was not involved in any of those deals, but I, I work in that industry and I, I know kind of what was offered to him and he decided to stay where he was. So I, I can appreciate that and I can respect that. So Ken Roxon is again, your number one racer in the industry seating power rankings, which I'm sure he is just celebrating wildly and will be tonight. Kidding. Probably doesn't even know this podcast exists, but that's okay. He's doing great. 
He doesn't need to worry about this. He needs to worry about winning that Supercross championship. So, Webb down 13 points. I think he's fine. No big deal. A lot of racing left. I think if you told him after seven rounds you can be down 13 points, would you take that? I think he would. I think that's okay. You know, you'd have, what, two wins now and down 13? Is that an acceptable placement? You know, halfway through February? I, I think he would take it. Maybe he wouldn't. Webb's pretty headstrong guy. Maybe he'd be like, hell no, I'm going to be points leader. But I don't think it's a bad spot to be in. Tomac down 29 is a little bit more of a problem. I think everybody else is out of the championship fight, and they would probably be pissed to hear me say that. But I think it's over for everybody else. Barsha, Osborne, all these guys, I think the championship's out of reach at this point. Too many points down, and all the good guys are in the top three. Tomac, Webb, and Roxon are top three. That's a, a very difficult dynamic to deal with down a whole gaggle of points for the rest of these guys. Thank you to all the sponsors of this podcast. As I mentioned, use those promo codes. Reach out to these sponsors. If you don't have a way to contact them, let me know. I will certainly put you in contact. But these are all great moto-minded companies. Even if their business isn't necessarily in moto, like Grandstone Boots or Fast Foundry, any of these guys, reach out to them. See how they can help you in the real world save some money, how they can do better business. Or if they are moto-minded, when you're going riding, you should be using these companies, right? Whether it's the Industry Seating Podcast, whether it's Pulp MX, whatever, these companies are spending money to reach you, the customer, and tell you about all the great products they have to offer. And also, they're offering you ways to save money. So thanks again. Thanks to the listeners. And uh, we'll talk to you next week after Orlando 2, which will be round eight. See you.